Well, good morning, Sherwood. How are you? Very good. Well, you look good. You sound good. I just want to tell you, it's good to be in church this morning. And I uh, bring greetings from Los Angeles. We've not been in church since March, and uh, it's good to be in the room with you this morning. To say it's an honor to be here is an understatement. Your pastor is a hero of mine, and I don't use that word lightly. He's a hero of mine, not only to me, but to so many people, so many young pastors, so many young leaders. And uh, I'm grateful to God for Michael Katz. He, uh, you know what you have here after 31 years, and I just want to say to you, um, what you have is unusual, and you have an incredibly faithful, godly uh, leader and pastor, shepherd, and Michael, I'm grateful for you, and Miss Terry, I love you dearly with all of my heart. If you have a Bible this morning, Luke chapter 1 is our text, Luke chapter 1 is our text, and while you're turning there, let me just say Uh, Over the last six years, we planted Story City Church in Los Angeles. You're a part of that. In fact, there's many familiar faces in the room this morning uh, that have participated and and prayed for us. And uh, God has been faithful over the last six years. We are one church now in two locations, owning two debt-free properties uh, before COVID. And who knows what we're coming back to, but before COVID, about 450 people in the heart of Los Angeles. And so you planted that, and I want to say thank you. Without your support, we could not have done so, and so we're grateful to Sherwood. By the way, there are people in our church, in the heart of the entertainment industry where we are, who know you, in fact, uh, know you personally. Some have worked with some of you guys personally, and they bring greetings this morning as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to start in verse 5 this morning is our text. We're officially in my favorite season of the year. Anybody? Christmas, your favorite season of the year? It's my favorite season of the year. I, I can't wait Christmas, every, I literally can't wait for it. Every, I literally cannot wait for it. Some of you in the room are like me, and you literally cannot wait, and you start listening to Christmas music in October. Anybody else in the room? Anybody want to confess this morning? If you ask my wife this morning, she would tell you that I'm a very impatient person. I hate to wait. I really do. I hate to wait. I, I don't like to wait. Do you not like to wait either? I hate waiting. I hate waiting in line. I was in Chick-fil-A last night, uh, in the line last night. I hated to wait. I hate to wait on the car in front of me. I hate to wait on my food at the restaurant. We've been waiting over a month for some important news in the life of our family. I just hate to wait. Do you hate to wait as well? Advent is this powerful season of the year where we as believers rehearse this common theme that we've been rehearsing for thousands of years, right? We're rehearsing this common theme as believers where... We wait on God to fulfill his promises, and we learn how to trust God in our waiting. And so the Christmas season is sort of this reminder for all of us that all of us are in this season of Advent. We're all waiting on something. And some of us in this Christmas season are waiting with hope. Some of us are waiting with fear. Some of us are waiting with anticipation. I would imagine most of us are probably waiting on 2020 to be over waiting on COVID to exit the scene, waiting on politics to be over. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're doing everything you possibly can just to hold it together, just to make it through this service and you're tired and you're stressed out and you're worried and you wonder if your kids are thankful, you wonder if you're going to fail your family at Christmas, you're worried about next year, you're worried about what it will bring. Christmas has this strange 
paradox this time of year where we look forward to it and we wait on it, but it's this anxious season of waiting that we just want to get over sometimes as soon as possible. And can you testify to say this morning that this year has tested all of our ability to wait, hasn't it? It's tested our ability to wait. Are you waiting on something to happen today? Are you waiting on a breakthrough? Are you waiting on a wife? Are you waiting on a child this morning? Are you waiting on a season to pass? Well, I don't know what season you're in today, but I just want to ask us just for this moment together as we open up the scriptures together, just to catch our breath for just a moment. It's a moment for us to be reminded that the God who orchestrated not only the day, not only the time, not only the hour, but the location of the birth of the long-awaited son is aware of your season, and he's prepared to love you through this season this morning. So I want to preach a message this morning from Luke chapter 1. And I want to help us consider as we walk through this passage how to trust God's promises, how to trust God's work in our lives and our times of waiting. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5 together. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, in Judea there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, Zechariah and Elizabeth are obviously the two characters in the story. She was also a descendant of Aaron, verse 6. Both of them were righteous, the scripture says, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. This is the description of how they deserve, uh, observed them, blamelessly, verse 6 says. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very Old. You know the story. This is the build-up to the main story. We're going to get to Mary and Joseph, and we're going to get to Jesus here pretty soon, but this is the build-up to the real story. This is, the, this is the hype story to the real story, and so Luke is building up. We're going to get to Mary and Jesus, but first we have Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, and we have two pig people here whose lives are a picture of a paradox. You understand what a paradox is this morning? A paradox implies that there are two things that don't go together, but for whatever reason, they're stuck together. And so what we see in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is this paradox. There's a paradox here. There's multiple paradoxes here. But the first one we see is this paradox in their life of waiting where there's the experience of happiness and disappointment. So... Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're older. Zechariah is a priest. They've devoted themselves to God. How do we know they've devoted themselves to God? Because verse 6 tells us they lived their life before God blamelessly. In other words, they did the right things. They were generous. They loved their neighbors well. They were faithful to each other. They trusted in God. They knew they were a part of God's people. That's the holiness and the righteousness and the happiness that exists in their life, but there's disappointment in their life as well. They couldn't get pregnant. It was socially and financially disastrous to not be able to have children. There's no social security at the time. There's no Medicare. Your children took care of you in your old age. As you get older, you're totally dependent on them. It's also considered to be a curse at this time by God to not have the ability to get pregnant. And so here they are. They're getting older. And maybe there's fear and there's insecurity in getting older. Who's going to take care of us? 
Maybe there's a feeling of loneliness. Maybe Elizabeth is wondering, is Zachariah going to continue to be faithful to me, or is he going to look for another woman who can bear his children? So Zachariah and Elizabeth have been waiting. And they've experienced happiness, and they've experienced disappointment. But listen to me, church, this morning. But they kept going. They're a memorial stone to everybody who comes behind them that you can do this. And so they kept going in spite of their waiting not being fulfilled. They're saying to us this morning, you can keep going in spite of your waiting not being fulfilled, even when it seems there's no sign of God's presence. Uh, about 18 years ago or so, I was in seminary as a young seminary student. I still feel young, but pastor, the last six years, I've got more gray hair and less of it after church planting. But 18 years ago, I was a young seminary student preparing for ministry, and all of us have seasons like this, whether it's seminary or something else. I was in a season of life, but I was looking forward to the next season. You know what I'm talking about? I'm preparing for ministry, but I'm praying, God, I'm just ready to do ministry now. I was doing ministry. I was speaking. I was volunteering at a church, but, but I'm ready to get on to the real thing, right? You understand? And so I'm so ready. God, I'm waiting to get to that, that phase of life where it's real ministry. And so I've always had a heart for missions, but <clears throat> when I was in seminary, I planned this mission trip to New York City that never happened. I worked the budget. I, uh, I worked the dates out, I worked the housing out, I even worked with one of my professors to give three hours of credit to anybody who went on the mission trip with us. I was prepared, I was ready to do ministry, and I contacted an organization called New Hope New York. They were very new in the city, and they had gone to New York City to plant churches, and so I called an organization called New Hope New York, and we partnered with a guy there called Paul Gomez. He sent me an email, and let me read you a portion of the email he sent to me as I'm planning this mission trip in seminary in my waiting to get to ministry. He said, Shelly Weaver, Matt, Shelly Weaver told me you were interested in bringing a group of 8 to 10 or so seminary students to New York City January 8th through the 15th. Let's talk. I am the church planting director for New Hope New York, and I will be a church planter in the next year. Let's see what we can devise. So 18 years ago, I didn't have a clue what a church planter was. <laughs> I'd never even heard of church planting. I didn't know what it was. The long story short, we didn't have enough interest in the trip, <clears throat> and I was pretty bummed about it. I was so ready to do ministry in New York, and there's sort of this anxious waiting in my life. Lord, how long do I have to wait to do ministry? I'm ready to do ministry now, you know, sometimes in our waiting on God, we have the tendency to believe that nothing is going to happen. We, some of us have been waiting and waiting and waiting on God to do something, and it seems like nothing is happening. And maybe some of you are ready to give up on your waiting. And sometimes when we give up on our waiting, listen to me, church, sometimes God shows up and he intervenes in surprising Ways. Now fast forward the tape. Fast forward the tape. In 2015, I moved to Los Angeles to plant a church. It's one of the loneliest seasons of my life, but in 2018, God sent a man by the name of Shane Kritzer to Los Angeles. Shane Kritzer was one of the two men who went to New York to start New Hope New York. I did not know him at the time. <laughs> God sent him to Los Angeles and 
And, and Shane has become one of the closest friends I have in this world. He's been one of the dearest friends I've had in the last two months. He's been life-giving to me. And in 2018, God turned my waiting and turned all of these things into church planting. And so I have to ask the question, because many of you are in the period between 2004 and 2018, and you're waiting, and you're like, God, what is this period in between? What's this time in between? God, what are you doing between then and eventually till I get to the place where you're going to fulfill the promise? Can I say to you, I believe the period between when God promises and when God fulfills is the time when God is preparing us for more life with him. That's what he was doing in my life. I'm waiting. God, when are you going to send me? You know what he was doing? He was preparing me for more life with him. He's preparing you for more life with him in your season of waiting. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're old. But listen to me, church, they remain faithful. This was all preparation for more life with God. May I say to you this morning, church, God is preparing you in your waiting for more life with him. Listen to what Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 says. It's a paraphrase of the scripture. It says there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we've never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, the scripture says. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So when you're waiting this morning, church, I want to encourage you, don't waste the waiting. And through all of this happiness and disappointment, the experience of patience, God is widening the container of Elizabeth and Zachariah's lives, and he's doing the same thing for us so that he can pour more of himself in us. And so for Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's all preparation for God to fulfill the promise that he's going to make to them. And what is that promise? Read in verse 8 with me. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10, and when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. The customary response when anybody in Scripture experiences an angel. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, now listen to me, church. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Zachariah is performing his priestly duties. He's burning incense in the, in the holy place in the temple. 
And as he's burning incense in the holy place in the temple, the Lord speaks a very personal and a very powerful message to the angel Gabriel to them. Do you know that every priest who goes in, into the holy place to perform his duties would be reminded of God's word that was spoken to Moses? Do you remember the word that God spoke to Moses about seeing God? God said, you cannot see my face. No one who sees me can live. So Zachariah is performing his duties. There's this holy fear of what would happen if I see God in his temple. And so here Zachariah is face to face with, with God's sent angel. He's face to face with, with Gabriel. And listen to me. The experience of everyone in Scripture who sees an angel that's sent by God, the experience is described as an experience of fear. But listen, this was not a harsh word. It was a personal word. It was a powerful word. Listen to what that word was. The word was this, church. Zechariah, the Lord sees you. He hears you. Zechariah, he's got his eye on you. He's seen the shame and the disappointment of Elizabeth. Zechariah, he's heard her cries. Zechariah, he sees you. He knows you. It was a personal word, an encouraging word. Don't you imagine for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's a painful word. They were waiting. Reminds me of our friends Andrew and Jennifer Nix. Years ago, they, they were trying to have kids, probably some of our experience in this room as well. They were trying to have kids. They could not have kids. They went through the process of getting pregnant, having a miscarriage, going through fertility treatments, fertility medicine, none of it working. And they went through the same process that all of us go through as we're, as we're having kids. If you've ever had kids, they went through the process of anticipation and disappointment. They did all the things that you do when you're expecting a kid. They go through the naming process. They pick out the colors for their room. And here they are, and they could not have kids. And they were sad, and they're frustrated, and and they wondered if they would ever have kids. But listen to me, they trusted the Lord. And I remember when Andrew and Jennifer called me as I was on staff at a church in Atlanta, and they said, would you gather some people to pray over us? I was in room number six, literally yesterday, where we gathered 10 friends together, and we put Andrew and Jennifer in a circle, and we prayed for them in their waiting. And two months later, we got word they're pregnant. Some of you hear that and you say, that's great, Pastor Matt, but what about me? I'm waiting for the same thing. I'm waiting for a breakthrough. I'm waiting for a spouse. I'm waiting for somebody to go through life with. I'm sick. I'm waiting. I've got this kid who's away from the Lord. I'm waiting and praying, Pastor Matt, what about me and my prayers? I don't know how God, or if God, will answer your prayers according to your desires, but I know the same thing is true about you that was true about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Listen to me, church. God sees you. 
He knows you. He hears you. He's got his eye on you. Your prayer hasn't disappeared into the cosmos. Your prayers haven't bounced off the ceiling and and disappeared into nothingness. God sees you. He's not waiting on you to work out your goodness and your righteousness so that he can reward you. That's not the way that God works. You know, sometimes life can seem like this thousand-piece puzzle. My wife loves these puzzles. I cannot stand them because I just don't have the attention span for them. I've got six pieces that clearly fit together. And I've got a whole lot of other pieces that I'm just wondering and I'm not sure where they go. Isn't that like life sometimes? Parts of life seem to go together. They, They seem to be working. And then there's other parts of your life that you're waiting on to come together. And our prayers are like this. God, help me put the missing pieces of my life together that I've been waiting on. And it can be discouraging and tiring to be waiting and waiting on God. God has seen the entire puzzle, church. He's seen the entire masterpiece of eternity past and eternity future. That's not the correct way to describe eternity, but it's the best way we can describe it. God's plans are so much bigger than just one piece of our lives. He can take all of these pieces and create a masterpiece. And listen to me, that's exactly what he's doing in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in the timeline of eternity, what God is literally doing here is he's connecting the past with the present and eventually with the future. That's what he's literally doing here. Listen to the last few verses of the Old Testament. I will send my messenger who will who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God is fulfilling his promises to his people in this passage. And Elizabeth and Zechariah are going to give birth to John, the herald, the hype man, if you will, who's going to announce the coming of King Jesus. Now listen, you know the end of the story. John, I mean, uh, Zach and Elizabeth, they, they received the blessing of the long-awaited son. And for Elizabeth and Zechariah, there's another paradox in their life. Because after receiving the promise of the long-awaited son, that long-awaited son eventually becomes a martyr. The blessing ends in tragedy and defeat. It looks like it's all for nothing. I say to you this morning, the missing pieces of our lives, even when they are filled in, will always be strained with suffering. When God answers us in our waiting, it's always to strengthen us and it's always to encourage us. But listen to me, it's never to make us safe. God is what we are waiting for. Andrew Murray in his book, Waiting on God, says the giver is more than the gift. God is more than the blessing. And our being kept waiting on him is the only way for our learning to find our life and joy in himself. Oh, if God's children, he said, only knew what a glorious God they have and what a privilege it is to be linked in fellowship with him, then they will rejoice in him, even when he keeps them waiting. They will be 
they will learn to understand better than ever. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. His waiting will be the highest proof of his graciousness. Now listen to how Zechariah responds to the promise. Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? (laughs) I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so Zechariah is struck with doubt. If I were to preach next Sunday, I may go to the story of Mary and Mary and her doubting. Zechariah is sort of punished here, but Mary wasn't punished, so we would contrast the doubt there. But Zechariah is struck with doubt, and can we just not play church for a moment and say, do you blame him? God, I'm old. This is impossible. Actually, at this point, God, I just want to live in a little condo down by the beach. I just want to walk on the beach with Elizabeth, God. Maybe tan with coconut oil. (laughs) Maybe do some fishing. I'm not ready for a child at this point, God. And besides, I don't even think it can happen. Do you know all of us doubt? In fact, I, I question the sincerity of our faith if there aren't doubts at times, but doubt keeps our feet on the ground and keeps our, our arms in the air reaching to heaven for God's answer. It reminds us that we aren't experts, that we're not in control of God. All of our th- uh, theologies and all of our formulations, they only scratch the surface of our God. So why was Zach punished for his doubt in this passage? Do you know so many people ask for confirmation? Even Jesus said to the Father, what are you doing? I don't understand it. Abraham did the same. Gideon did the same. Hezekiah did the same over and over in the Bible. We don't know why, but maybe it's because Zechariah demanded a sign in his doubt. Maybe sometimes in our delight we ask for a sign. But when Zechariah was given a sign, he wasn't able to speak until the promise was fulfilled, and so God knew that I mean, Zechariah knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Verse 22, and when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Verse 23, and we're almost done. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Verse 24, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So what is the silence all about? Maybe Zachariah is one of those people who could not not talk. (laughs) Maybe Zachariah... Talked in the barber shop. Maybe Zachariah talked in the coffee shop. Maybe Zachariah was one of those who talked in the line at Walmart. Maybe this was a forced fast by God. Maybe there are times when God has to sit us down and remind us that we need to stop trying to do this on our own. Matt, you cannot fix this situation. You cannot fix your way out. You cannot talk your way out, Matt. So sit down and shut up. And wait. 
Maybe that's what's happening here. Waiting is so hard for us, isn't it? Most of us are waiting for the next breakthrough. But most of life, you know this to be true, is not lived in the miracle, but it's lived in the moment by moment. It's in between the bookends. It's in, in between the waiting. It's a time from, from when Zechariah heard Gabriel to nine months later when John is born. That's a long time not being able to speak. Listen to me, church. That's the waiting. God is in the waiting. Andrew Murray says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Yes, for him. Seek not only the help, the gift thou needest, seek himself. Wait for him. Give God his glory by resting in him, by trusting him fully, by waiting patiently for him. The patience honors him greatly. It leaves him as God on the throne to do his work. It yields self wholly into his hands. It lets God be God. If thy waiting be for some special request, wait patiently, he says. If thy waiting be the more exercise of the spiritual life, seeking to know and to have more of God, wait patiently, whether it be in the shorter specific periods of waiting or is in the continuous habit of the souls. Rest in the Lord. Be still before the Lord. And listen to what Andrew Murray says. Wait patiently. Some of you are in a period of waiting. You're in a season of Advent this Christmas season. And like Zechariah, this period of waiting is not to be wasted, but it's a moment for us to participate in what God is doing. You know, Elizabeth goes into seclusion for five months. Do you notice that Gabriel never told her she needed to go in seclusion? Gabriel told Zechariah he's going to be quiet for nine months, but she never told Elizabeth to go into seclusion for five months. What's happening here? Possibly the two of them are waiting on God, letting God do His work. So many times we want this flurry of activity to happen so that we can produce God's activity. And some of you are in a season of Advent this morning where the best thing that you can do is say, I'm going to wait on you, God, and trust you in this season. Finally and ultimately today, and I'm going to close with this, the answer to our waiting in this season is the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus himself. Humanity has experienced the first arrival of Jesus. We're all waiting on his second, aren't we? We're closer today than we were yesterday. And when Jesus comes the second time, his promise is that for the believer, everything you've been waiting on I'm going to fulfill. What are you waiting on this morning? Are you waiting on something spiritually? Are you just wrestling through a challenging season spiritually? Are you waiting on a season spiritually? When Jesus comes back the second time, we're going to be with God forever in a perfect relationship with him. The scripture says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Are you waiting on something physically this morning? When Jesus returns the second time, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more aging. There will be no more death. Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Are you waiting on something relationally this morning? Are you experiencing strained relationships in your marriage, with your children, in your work, in your home? 
When Jesus returns the second time, we will be in perfect relationship with everyone in the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could count. Now listen to me, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language. It's difficult to get all of those things together in one room on this earth, isn't it? But when Jesus returns, it's going to fit together. All the pieces are going to come together. Are you waiting on something emotionally? Are you lacking joy? When Jesus returns a second time, we'll have everlasting joy, everlasting peace, everlasting purpose. There will be no more tears. That is the promise of Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Finally, are you waiting on something morally? Has, something, has someone done you wrong? You know, when Jesus returns a second time, every people group from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be joined together in perfect harmony. No more prejudice, praise the Lord. No more elitism. No more racism. No more wars. Galatians 3 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is not male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know that all of history is is barreling towards this massive reset, towards the second coming of Jesus. And now listen to me, we're all just waiting for it. And some of you who are believers this morning know you're waiting for it. Those of you here this morning who aren't believers, you don't know yet what you are waiting for, but the answer is in Jesus himself. It's in the long-awaited Messiah who came to this earth and he suffered the punishment of our sins so that you didn't have to suffer it. And even though there's still going to be challenge and struggle and pain and difficulty and strain in every relationship you have in your life and emotional strain and physical strain, one day when Jesus returns for the second time, as we have been waiting on him, he's going to restore all things to the way they originally were intended to be. Let me close with this verse and try to describe for you what that waiting will result in. Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 6, the wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child shall put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm or destroy on all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, some chapters of life are incredibly painful, incredibly difficult to endure. And the current chapter that you may be in may be especially difficult, but may I say to you this morning, the story hasn't ended. There's purpose in your waiting, and I want to encourage you this morning not to waste your waiting. In your waiting, God is making more room for life with Him. And even though it may be painful this morning, God has a purpose, and he's ultimately going to fulfill his promises to you. Will you trust in Jesus this morning? Will you trust in his plan for your life today? If you've never given your life to Jesus, may I beg you and implore you to come to the altar, to come to the cross and see Jesus for what he's done for you. If you're online, if you're in the room, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I beg you to trust your life to him today. If you are a believer this morning, I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever you're walking through, don't waste the waiting. Let's pray together. 
God, we trust in you today. Not having all the answers, not seeing all the pieces of the puzzle, but we know that the one that we trust in has already seen it. God, you are trustworthy, and we believe that you're working all things together for our good. So God, in our waiting this morning, all across this room and wherever we may be watching around the world, whatever we're walking through, I pray that by the Spirit of the living God, you would remind us, encourage us, convict us, restore us, renew us in our waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.